Here's a, a selection, a little clip from an article that we picked off in the National Post the other day. Almost two years ago, quote, almost two years ago, community measures, including lockdowns to suppress COVID transmission, had widespread support with a movement, COVID zero, that promoted more draconian measures, hoping to eliminate COVID altogether. Schools, institutions of higher learning and businesses were shuttered. Even playgrounds and outdoor washrooms were closed and youths simply enjoying outdoor summer parties were vilified. Most of these measures were ineffective. Many were harmful. Has anything been learned from these mistakes? Or will they be repeated the next time case counts go up? We have some thoughts for the future. This under the title, Draconian COVID Measures Were a Mistake. Let's not repeat them. It's time to accept the virus cannot be stopped and will continue to evolve co-authored by four doctors, one of whom is our guest this morning, Dr. Jennifer Grant, joining us here in Vancouver. She is an infectious disease physician, an associate professor of medicine at UBC, and a former guest on our show. Dr. Grant, good morning and welcome back. Good morning, and thanks for having me again. Well, it's good to have you, Dr. Grant. Uh, this uh, we we are uh, bound and determined to learn better lessons from the from the past and apply them to the future. How um, how how ready do you think is the the uh, health policy commit community to accept some of the recommendations you and your colleagues make in this uh, article in the National Post the other day? I'd like to think that people are actually quite ready. I've had a lot of very positive feedback from this article, as have my co-authors. I think people realize how important it is not to blame anybody for any decisions they made, but really to sit down and, and think carefully through what we did, what we possibly shouldn't have done, and what we can do better next time. Right. Well, of course, and, and this whole notion of um, vilifying people for making a decision turned into an election issue. The prime minister and his party basically vilifying the unvaccinated and uh, pr- producing some pretty harmful uh, results in a population that is still in many ways seething with resentment. And that's not healthy either, is it? It isn't. And I think this should go back to our days of dealing with other viruses. During the early days of HIV, um, there was vilification of the gay community. And we learned a lot from that in that uh, the, the, the tagline from that was it's a virus, not a moral issue. And we really do have to recognize how. Um, some people are going to react differently than others. And I do want to point out that a lot of the people, um, there's a disparity in terms of vaccination rates with um, minority communities having less vaccination. And that's because, with very good reason, they've lost trust in the medical system for all sorts of horrible things that have been done in the past. Right. And, and, and so vilification is actually quite harmful to trying to recover those issues. Um, and and it, as you said, it creates even resentment and it makes it very, very hard the next time to have a rational conversation and make people understand that in many ways, we are really trying to do the best um, that we can. It's interesting. You've you talked about uh, the, some of the measures that we took um, out of fear and uh, lack of any kind of uh, alternatives. We decided we were just going to lock everybody down for a few months and take it from there. How uh, how incorrect was that decision based on hindsight being twenty twenty? You know, it's really hard to say. And I think this is where we really need everybody to just take a deep breath. And and what we really need is our experts in statistics and and math um, to come up with a plan 
to analyze this dispassionately. Not everyone has their biases, and that's the problem. We're getting one group of uh, people with one bias saying these measures were the only thing we could possibly have done. They were fabulous. We should do them every time. Right. And other saying the exact opposite. And the truth is, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. And we need to really look at that in a scientific way with emotions and politics taken out. I think where a lot of it, it's interesting you would bring up science because science was always, we're following the science. That was the quote used by most politicians over those, particularly the first 12 months of COVID and dealing with all of the inconveniences, to put it mildly, that Canadians were subjected to. We're following the science. But then as people started to pay more and more attention, Dr. Grant, it turns out some of the science they were following was political science instead of medical science. And that caused a little bit of skepticism at a very unhealthy time. Absolutely. And I I think that it was very much a mistake to call this following the science. And here's why. Science will tell you what the rate of hospitalization is. It will tell you how many people are likely to die and in what age groups. That's the science. But what we do in terms of policy actually is values, applying values to science. So so with the exact same facts, two very reasonable people coming with different values will come to two very different conclusions. And not acknowledging that is a really important problem that we faced and that some people would say we should lock down because any risk is unacceptable. and Others would say risk is part of life. So let's talk a little bit about the fear factor, because right from the get-go, we were told to be afraid. This is something that is new. Uh, we've not seen anything like It was a global pandemic. Uh, countries around the planet were taking similar measures. Everybody was uh, well, a little, to say the nonplussed would be a, a kind way of describing a c- confusion. And a lot of fear was instilled in the general population to the point where this morning, Dr. Grant, there are still people listening to this broadcast who won't go to a restaurant because they're still afraid right and that's a really challenging um issue the the problem um with fear is that it's very hard to undo and and i do have to say um there were the, the pushing of fear was a very interesting phenomenon and um a lot of social media and media outlets found that that was a great way to get eyeballs. Um, And I think we all have to take collective responsibility in saying that fear is probably not the best motivator Mm -hmm. and that we should have calm, collected, and responsible um, reporting on issues where uh, people may panic and make poor decisions because of that panic. Right. Testing. How how useful has the testing process been uh, throughout the pandemic? And going forward, is it a reliable uh, metric to to depend on? So right now, testing is probably no longer a reliable metric. Early in the pandemic, it was probably very important. We, We really did need to understand who was infected, who wasn't. And that helped us understand who was getting sick or very sick, sick enough to need hospital, and who wasn't. Sure. With the Omicron variant, um, about 60% of people, um, if not more, are unaware that they're infected. They're just the, the disease is mild enough that you wouldn't even know you had it. So testing stops being as useful. And really, as this virus becomes something that we're going to deal with year over year, we, we really need to start treating it like all of the other viruses in that if you're sick, stay home. But we're not going to worry about whether it's coronavirus or influenza or human metanumavirus. 
Um, it is what it is, and unless you get very sick, we don't really need to know what's causing it. And we can use other measures like wastewater to understand what's going on epidemiologically. Interesting. Now, let's talk a little bit about boosters, Dr. Grant, because now uh, there's a big push by the British Columbia government, for example, to get more people boosted up this fall. It's a big push this fall. Uh, they talk in terms of getting perhaps more than one booster shot per year. Uh, that seems to be a little excessive, according to the article you and your colleagues wrote. Right. So this is something where the science itself isn't settled. We really don't have great data on when boosters do and don't help. We know that there's a group of people who are at very high risk, and those are people who almost certainly do benefit from boosters. So um, those people who are severely immune suppressed, the frail elderly. Other people, unfortunately, um, in order to get these uh, vaccines out quickly, we don't have a lot of clinical data. So we're going to really need to look at those data as they come out and and make uh, rational decisions about what to do. For those people who have questions, I strongly recommend you speak to your personal physician to try and get an idea of where you sit in that um, panoply and apply your values to your decisions about boosters. Uh, You talk uh, very briefly uh, about ArriveCan, saying in in one sentence, ArriveCan is an international embarrassment and Canada can do better. Not a lot about public health going on with that one. It's now about control and surveillance, uh, but we're still being, it's still being fobbed off as some kind of public health thing. Well, if it is a public health thing, they have not made any of the data public. So if there is public health value, then I think it behooves the federal government to show us the data that have been generated and how that's been used to improve outcomes. To date, and I have looked, none of those data are available. Um, so, again, I, I put it to the federal government to prove that there's some benefit to, to that app. Dr. Grant, final question, June. It's great to have you back on the show, ma'am. As we go forward uh, with the politicians leading the parade, as usual, how confident, if at all, are you that those uh, mistakes, as you read them uh, from the first round, won't be repeated? Well, I, I hate to be cynical, but unless we um, really take the time as a scientific community to sit down and do the analysis that we need. There's no incentive for politicians to change their approach. So we really need to come together to sort of take the, um, the, the creed of accepting what we can't change and changing what we can and really look at what we have done and dispassionately and fairly come up with a a postmortem on what's happened. Interesting stuff. Dr. Jennifer Grant, great to have you back on the show today. We do appreciate your time again. (laughs) Thanks very much. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. <laughs> and Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.